0: (laughs) All right. So hi, Mary. Uh, Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started? Well, I'm speaking
1: to you from England. I came over here in 1968 for a holiday when I graduated and ran out of money and had to get a job and met a guy at work. And we have two sons and two grandsons and live in Kingston on Thames and come back to Canada he's English but uh, we nonetheless come back to Canada whenever we can and COVID has really stuck a spanner in the works for that because uh, I haven't been home now for more than two years. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to come this summer.
0: Oh good getting closer that's for sure.
1: Getting closer for sure.
0: So when you come to visit, where is it that you like to spend your time?
1: Uh, we go uh, to Manitoulin, mm-hmm. um, where one of my brothers is. and we generally fly into Toronto and then head north to the um, to cottage country, where <laughs> my family has had a cottage for uh, more than a hundred years. Oh uh, wow.
0: So it's yeah. the same cottage.
1: Oh yes! This oh is wow!
0: It.
1: Yes, yes. It's just a great big wooden pile on top of a hunk of granite, <laughs> uh, with a lot of lake frontage. Because when my grandparents built it, uh, land was cheap mm-hmm. up north. Nobody wanted it. There's no road in. There still isn't a road to our cottage. So uh, it's it's a bit basic.
0: Oh, that sounds lovely, though. It's a good retreat for sure. It's a wonderful
1: retreat. It is.
0: Oh, lovely. Uh, so, would you like to tell us a little bit about a town called Solas, then? Yeah, it's
1: a, a story in three parts, if you like. There are three principal characters. Um, the first is Clara, who is seven. And It is Clara who starts the book, and uh, it was she who started the story in my mind. I got this image of a little girl standing at the window in the living room of her house in this little Northern town called Solace. And she sees through the window into the living room of the house next door which belongs to an old lady called Elizabeth Orchard, who is not there at the moment. And Clara, looking out of the window, sees a man, a stranger, drive up in a car and start unloading big boxes from the trunk of his car and carrying them into the house. And that was all I had to start with. I didn't know what what the story was or who the man was or what was in the boxes or anything else. I just had this little girl, but then, um, so for a couple of weeks, nothing happened in my head. Nothing happened uh, with pencil and paper. And then watching the news one night, uh, there was a husband and wife um, appealing to the public for information because their daughter had vanished. And I noticed there were no children present, no siblings, which is quite right. You don't want to expose them to media at such time. And I thought, no one ever thinks of the siblings. It must be absolutely horrendous for them when a member of the family goes missing, particularly if they're too young to really understand. Because everyone will Try to protect them by telling them that everything's all right when it will be plain as day, especially to someone aged seven like Clara, that everything is not okay and nobody will tell her the truth. So I decided that was her story. She has an adored elder sister, Rose, who had a row with their mum and stormed out of the house and Hasn't been seen since, and it's now day 12, uh, and a strange man has moved in next door. And I thought, okay, I need, I need another character. Let's go for the man next door, who's he? And I decided he was from south, from Toronto, um, a stranger to the north, never been north before, And I guess he was in a crisis. I thought, okay, his life's a mess. He's just got a divorce. He's just walked out of his trouble. He hasn't the least idea what comes next. And then he gets a letter from a lawyer saying that he has inherited a property in the North. And he thought, thanks. I'll go and have a look at it. And then, so, I mean, who wants to live up there, right? (laughs) So he comes north and he uh, has all his possessions with him because there's nowhere else for them to be and um, moves into the house for a couple of weeks, thinks, okay, do it up, needs some work done. And within 24 hours of him arriving, He gets a visit from the police who are interested to know about a stranger moving into the house next door to a family whose child has gone missing at this terrible moment uh, in that family's life. So I reckon his problems are only going to get worse. And then I thought, okay, I want another character still. I need to look at who it is who owns this house. And basically, she's an old woman uh, based on me, except that nothing that happens to her ever happened to me. Um, And she is in hospital. That's why she's away from home. She's asked Clara to look after her cat while she's away, which Clara is more than happy to do. And in hospital, she is looking back on her life and on uh, specifically a time 30 years ago when a family moved in next door to her house. At that stage, she wasn't living in Sol. She was living in Guelph. Her husband worked at the Agricultural College there. And it was 1940. She was... Uh, She had just had her fifth miscarriage and was in a serious psychological state. But look, it's wartime. And in any case back then, people didn't talk about such things. That was woman's stuff. You didn't mention it. So she didn't go to her doctor. And she was quite seriously depressed. But she didn't know that. She was just intensely unhappy. And then this Family moves in next door and they have three children, which just about kills her. One of them is a little boy called Liam, who is aged three. And the story of her relationship with Liam, Liam, uh, is part of the book and the consequences of her relationship. And the tragedy that happened um, through her own fault, um, bind the whole story together and show you why Liam, because he is the man next door who carried in those boxes, why he's there and what the whole pattern of the story is
0: before we get started with the questions i did just want to tell you i really enjoyed the novel as well it I, I i was doing a little bit of additional sort of deep diving before our chat as well and one of the things that i saw in some of the reviews is that people w- were calling it quietly beautiful and i think that that's a really lovely description because it's not like there's nothing super dramatic happens at any point like it's not that's not the point of it the point of it is just, these people's lives and how they intersect in this familiar small town and the way that you wove the the stories together, especially the fact that I don't think this is giving too much away that they don't run parallel time-wise. That's right. That's right. It was really well done. It was, it was just, it was really lovely and I I quite enjoyed it. So I just wanted to tell you that before I start (laughs) picking your brain as well.
1: (laughs) Thank you. That's, That's lovely to hear. I'm, I'm delighted. I never know while I'm writing, whether it's going well, whether anyone else is going to be interested in it, it's just a question of am I interested in it? So it's a very anxious time when it first comes out and it's been fabulous that it has been well received. Mm
2: -hmm. Nothing Mm -hmm.
1: happens in any of my books, by the way. Um, uh, (laughs) They just aren't really big on plot. Um, (laughs)
0: Do you ever look at like reviews and things like that as they're coming out? Or do you sort of let it come to you more filtered and just see how the overall reception looks like?
1: Um, I get sent by the publishers the big reviews, the mm-hmm. newspapers and, and magazines and things. So I see those, but I do not go online and look at reviews. <laughs> I mean, what they're bad. What if they're horrible? What if people hate them? It would really depress me. So I just... I don't do social media Mm -hmm. and I don't search out (laughs) reviews. I just hope for the best. I write them, it takes me six years to write a book, Mm -hmm. and it's a terrific commitment in terms of time. But it's the writing that I love. So when I finish writing, I think, okay, done. My job is over. Send it out. Keep your fingers crossed. And just see what happens. And I see what happens. I don't search it out.
0: (laughs) I think that's probably the healthy way to go about things. Looking up reviews on yourself is probably not a good thing.
1: It probably isn't. I think you'd get obsessed
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: neurotic and hugely anxious. And um, I just don't want to do that.
0: (laughs) Probably for the best. So is that normally what your writing process looks like? You'll get like bits and pieces that sort of inspire you and then you wait for the story to come together?
1: That's right. Um, People say, do you know what's going to happen uh, at the end of the book before you start? I don't know what's going to happen in the next paragraph. (laughs) I get an idea. I got Clara and it all grew out of that. So I write like literally... A sentence at the time at a time. I should say here probably I don't have a background in in English I didn't study English at university mm-hmm. I studied psychology um, books were my escape I didn't want to turn them into work
2: mm-hmm. by
1: you know having to read certain things and comment on them so I didn't do that and the um I mean in a way that that was a very Good decision, because psychology is a very much better career than writing is, that's for sure. Um, And also, uh, it's useful in the sort of writing that I do to have some sort of background. Um, But the downside is that I have no technique. I don't, (laughs) I literally don't know how to do it. So each time I am doing it by trial and error, um, sentence by sentence, thinking, okay, what would he have said to that? Um, there is an absolute key point in the book. I think I can tell you this without giving too much away. I decided that Liam had had a very, very traumatic childhood. Um, and I spoke a lot with my sister, who's a psychotherapist, or was a psychotherapist, uh, for years and years, about what the consequences of trauma in childhood on a very young child would be in later life, and one of the things she said was that he is going to have great trouble forming relationships with anybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's basically a very unhappy man, and he he can't do relationships. So. I thought, okay, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens to him in a small community because I grew up in one. I grew up in a little farming community, quite isolated. And everybody knows everything about you in a community like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no getting away from people. You think, well, there aren't as many people as there are in the city. People in the city don't notice you.
2: Mm-hmm. You, know,
1: you look at the as you walk along you don't look at, at other people and smile at them and ask them how they are and what they're doing and where they're from and all that sort of <laughs> stuff and I thought he's going to find this tough and at some stage he's going to meet Clara and I thought wow how's that going to go and when's that going to happen and I just could not figure it out Actually, that's why I started writing about Elizabeth because uh, this third character, because I couldn't figure out Liam. I knew what his, what his background was, you know, the nature-nurture business. I knew what the nurture was, but I didn't know who he, who this little boy was and who he was going to turn out to be, and that's part of the equation. Uh, The same circumstances won't have the same end results for any two people. We're all individuals here, regardless of our upbringing. So, who is he? And I didn't figure that out for, I think, a hundred pages. It's a hundred pages in when he meets Clara. And... I thought, okay, he sees this little girl. In fact, she's standing in his living room when he comes into the house. What's he going to say? Is he going to say, I think you should leave. Or "Um, I don't want you in this house. It's not yours. What's he going to say, this guy? Mm -hmm. And When I finally realized what he would say, when it finally came to me after days of working on it, I thought, okay, that's who he is.
0: Oh, okay.
1: And therefore, his role in the story changed dramatically because he was a different person from how I had assumed he would be. And he became involved uh, to a much greater degree in the story. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? Not absolutely sure.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> good,
2: good. Yeah, it's
1: all just trial and error, and I don't know where it's going. And if it ends up not working, I just have to go back and start again. Which is why it takes me six years. It's it's <laughs> a horrendous way of working i wouldn't recommend it to anybody
0: but that's what comes naturally
1: that's what comes naturally it's just the people that i'm interested in and they need everything it's Mm -hmm. led by their chiefly by their reactions to each other Mm -hmm. if you put them in a scene with someone else you find out a lot more about them by how they bounce off other people Uh And I find that very, very interesting. Um, This, Liam was the most difficult character to write I've ever written. And uh, therefore, I think, became my favourite character because I'd have to spend so much time on him, with him, if you like. You know, I spend more time with these people than I do with my own family. (laughs) I'm working every day, kind of, well not on the weekend, (laughs) but kind of nine to five. Right. uh, It's, they become very important to you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You put a lot into it and therefore you care that they work out all right in the end, which doesn't mean to say that things turn out for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know uh, when I start, how things are going to turn out for them.
0: Mm Okay. What is it about Northern Ontario that so captured your heart for to to be the setting of all of your novels so far?
1: Well it was the cottage up north where we spent our summers as a kid Mm -hmm. and which was a kind of my oldest brother describes it as our ancestral home. (laughs) My uh, grandparents were both sets of grandparents built houses up there. They were very, very early settlers on this tiny little lake. And their um, children got to know each other. And the little boy from one family met the little girl from the other family. And um, hence, here I am, you know. Mm-hmm. We got married in due course. and had four kids and we went, we got married over there, my husband and I, and we came and our children back there and my kids are half Canadian. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a really important landscape to me. I've, I have never found the landscape as beautiful as Northern Ontario. And when I started trying to write, I was writing short stories um, and selling them to magazines. And it didn't really satisfy me entirely, partly because they had requirements um, women's magazines, uh, such as it has to be contemporary, it has to be set in this country, it has to have a man and a woman in it in some shape or form, which... It turned out just wasn't what I was interested in writing. Um, I wanted to develop character and relationships over time. So eventually I decided that I would give myself two years that my husband would have to pay the mortgage and look after all the expenses for two oh. years. So was a joint decision. While well, I tried to write a novel uh, which I did. It took me not two years, but five. And at the end of that time, it was rubbish. Oh, no. And in absolute despair and disgust, I went back to short stories. And the first one that I write wrote, I wrote for me, just in order to get my confidence back, if you like. And I set it, and I knew it would not sell over here. I set it in Canada and in a remote farming community because that was what I was familiar with. Mm-hmm. And there was a little girl who narrated it and she was born in 1946 because I was, and I hate doing research. That <laughs> I didn't have to do anything. That's why she's in the farming community. But I set it up north because I thought nobody would believe that southern Ontario, where we lived most of the year, was that remote back then. Mm, mm-hmm. So I shifted it all way north, way up north and west of New Liske. So much further north than the mm-hmm. And because that is still very remote. You know, the roads only go so far north, and then they stop, mm-hmm. and, you know it really is quite remote so I wrote this story and when I finished it I thought that's definitely the sort of thing I want to write I might as well send it to the women's magazine that published most of my stuff because what else am I going to be wrote and I sent it to her and the fiction editor and she phoned me and said Mary you know that isn't our sort of thing, but there are two things I have to tell you. One, I'm going to publish it anyway, (laughs) because I love it. And two, you've got a novel sitting there in that short story. You must write it, and you must set it in your home. Your writing goes up to a different level when you write about your home, and I thought, Thank you for that. So what she was saying actually was in writing that story about my home, I found my voice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a Canadian voice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Despite having lived here now for 54 years, I'm Canadian and that's still home. You know, I have no regrets about coming over here and we've had a great life. I wouldn't change it at all, but Canada's still home. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. And uh, that's why I write about it, because I love that landscape.
0: That's wonderful. How do you balance those two sides of yourself, your your Canadian side and your British side?
1: Strangely, I don't find it a problem, except that I hate the Atlantic for being, <laughs> for being so big. Because I have two brothers and a sister, um, and we're a very close family,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I now have not seen them for almost three years because of COVID stopping us going
2: over, you
1: mm-hmm. know. Um, but I haven't, I don't, I guess the thing is, I don't mind being a foreigner, um, and I'm a foreigner wherever I am now because I've been away from Canada so long. Mm-hmm that, you know, to all intents and purposes, it has completely changed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why I write about a period 50 years ago at least, because I left in 1968, and none of my books to date goes any further than 1972. <laughs> I reckon that's pushing it. I like to know what I'm talking about, and I don't know what it was like after I left, really, besides I go back a lot and have very close contacts. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't mind this outsider business, the fact that I'm, you know, that I'm neither one thing or another. That, that has never worried me. In fact, I think it's been a huge advantage having the two cultures. Um, I think it's given me a perspective on both that I wouldn't have otherwise. I think being so far from Canada allowed me to see it more clearly Mm -hmm. uh, or differently, should we say. When I was young, particularly as a teenager, I was just desperate to get out of that little community, go somewhere where nobody knew me Mm -hmm. and knew my parents and grandparents and had expectations of me and all that sort of thing. So I went to University of Montreal, which was a nice safe distance from home, 600 miles. That was comfortable. And uh, it just, it completely blew me away. But when I started writing all those years later, it turned out to be that little farming community that was the most fundamental thing to me because I knew who, I knew all of the pressures that would be on a family at that time, in that place. I knew what mattered to people and the rules that they lived their lives by and the way they lived after uh, looked after or warred with each other. I knew how the little communities work. I know how families work. I write a lot about, kids I find kids absolutely fascinating and a lot about siblings because I have siblings who are really important to me Mm -hmm. Um, and who in fact are involved my sister in particular very involved in the writing of uh, my books both she and my husband are my first readers
0: lovely yeah what do you think it is about Uh, books that are set in communities that feel like our home that so attract people like everybody around here obviously in northern Ontario when they hear that the book is set in northern Ontario they're like "Ooh, really interesting like what do you think that is for readers where that really just touches their heartstrings for
1: starters I don't think a lot I could be wrong here but I don't get the feeling that a lot is written about Northern Ontario. Uh, when I've gone up there um, in the summers for research, up to near Discord,
0: where exactly is
1: your library? Where? So
0: Calendar is, we're like 10 minutes south of North Bay.
1: So you okay. would pass
0: us on the highway. We're just off yep. Highway 11.
1: Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Okay, so when I go north, they are so... They've been so supportive of the books. And uh, the library, the Tritowns library uh, that serves New Liskard um, and the other towns up there um, have been very, very helpful in my research. Um, they've really been good to me. And I've got very accustomed to going up there and to, you know, getting to know it better. But I think for the people reading it, as I understand it, uh, when I've gone up on book tours, um, they don't, not many people are writing about them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it kind of is interesting. I wondered what the little farming community that I grew up in, which was much further south, Mm -hmm. I wondered what they would think of the books. And I thought, I hope they don't think I'm writing about them. They will know that i'm writing about small community life mm-hmm. they loved them Aww. they've been oh they've been just wonderful uh, about the books they've been you know they wrote to random house um random house publicity said they they never received so many letters from somebody's hometown you know? um so i mean they've been just marvelous and i thought people actually feel in some way reassured that they are connected, their lives matter, their lives are as important as anybody else's. Um, you know, I like, I'm interested in reading about London, partly because I've lived here now for so long. Um, and you recognize things, and that's fun too. mm mm-hmm. But I think it's much more intense for small communities. I I think recognizing small communities because they're so tight-knit and the relationships are so important in them. Um, Somebody said to me once with Crow Lake, the first book, Mm -hmm. uh, where four children lose their parents. Um, And she said, where were the social workers? And I said, good question. (laughs) <laughs> they certainly weren't anywhere near us. Mm-hmm. You know, that didn't happen. Um, when I grew up, there, there was no family where the parents were killed and left the kids. But uh, it would be the community that pitched in. I knew that. So, and they would know that, reading really. it, they would know. Back then, they were so remote, that mm-hmm. people, to look after each other.
0: hmm Yes, there's something about small town life that I think is the same in any small town. It really doesn't matter which. You all That's have right. the same sort of recognition of what that means.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I assumed when Crowley came out that if I was lucky, it would appeal to people from that background, from Northern Ontario, small farming community, mm-hmm. or lumber, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I did not expect it to have a big international audience. And that little book has been translated into more than 30 languages. And and when I'm trying to figure out why, the answer has to be because it's about family and everyone has a family. Mm -hmm. And it's about these small communities and there are thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of small communities. So it rings bells with those people. And it's interesting to those who are not from that background.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And Crow Lake won the Evergreen Awards uh, after it was published, correct? Yes, it did. So are you optimistic that perhaps a town called Solus will win this year? Wouldn't that be brilliant? That would be really wonderful if you could do that. It would be incredible. Mm-hmm. It would be just incredible. I, you know,
1: the biggest, the thing that mattered most to me was always the reception it would get in Canada because everybody else assumes I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, you guys know if I've got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really rely on my brothers who are very familiar with the North. Um, to proofread it for me and make sure that there aren't dire mistakes. Mm-hmm. For instance, in a town called Solace, um, I have Liam buy a box of wild blueberries, and it's September, and I get <laughs> send it home. I get this phone call from one of my brothers, and he said, "Mary." <laughs> We've had him buying blueberries in September. (laughs) Remember, you'll never find a blueberry in September. And I said, look, I do know, but I really wanted him to have wild blueberries. It's important to the story. He needs to choke on them. Um, I tell you what I'll do. I'll put an acknowledgement in the back of the book, apologizing to the people of the North and saying, I do know you don't get blueberries in September. But I had to have them. Please forgive me. So you know, they they pick up these little details. That yeah, I know we're wrong. <laughs> I, I well, that I, doesn't
0: quite work. No, it doesn't
1: work. Uh,
0: are you working on anything else at the moment that we might see in six years?
1: <laughs> um, I should just say here and now. I'm seventy six. So, (laughs) what you're going to see in six years, who knows? (laughs) But, um, no, I'm not working on anything. Not because I don't want to, but because no idea has come. But that's Mm -hmm. standard. I have a terrible time with ideas.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. People say,
0: there are ideas everywhere.
1: No, they're not. (laughs) Uh, Not for me.
0: You have to wait for them to come organically.
1: I do. I do. I mean, the only way to get them is to read and go to films and watch drama on television and go to the theatre. You know, there's no output without input. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the well is pretty dry at the moment, um, and I need to fill it up again, and I've not really had a chance to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, what, what are you reading? Is there anything that you'd love to recommend that you've really enjoyed lately?
1: I have recently finished Miriam Um That's probably pronounced wrong. Um, her latest book. Ah, uh, Goodness. Stay there. You're going to have to edit this out.
2: Sure. <laughs> oh. And there you go.
0: Oh, I can't find it. Oh, yes, Fight
2: Night. Brilliant. Absolutely
1: loved it. I thought it was amazing. And then, at the moment, I have just started... night watchman
0: oh okay i haven't i haven't read that one yet
1: okay that's it's a new york times bestseller sent to me by my sister winner of the pulitzer prize Mm. um and i got a stack yay hi (laughs) of Um, course yeah i've got the new ann tyler Ann tyler was my biggest influence in terms of reading her books was a complete revelation because I had always assumed that you needed to be very erudite and very intellectual and Mm well-read to write. And I'm not saying that she isn't. What I'm saying is she writes so simply and so honestly and so directly and believably about people, and I thought – when I first read Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant, which was the first of hers that I read, I thought I would kill to be able to do that. And that was the first time I thought, maybe, maybe I'd try to write. Ah. She she really had a profound effect on me. Just this business of you don't have to be Einstein to write a book. Hmm. You just you just need to write honestly mm-hmm. about things that interest you, right? And hope for the best. There's never a guarantee anyone will find <laughs> anything, but you gotta try.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Mary. I really loved the chance to be able to pick your brain and especially relate really with something like you said that you know we're we're all very familiar with in this area. So it was extra lovely.
1: That is great. Well, you live in
0: an absolutely wonderful
1: place. Um, I remember it with great and I'll, I'll be in the area.
0: Yes, hopefully you'll be visiting us soon. If you ever need a pit stop on your way up to Manitoulin Island, we're just off the road.
1: Well, that's really kind of you. That's a very tempting offer. <laughs> okay. okay. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you, Sarah.
0: You that's too. Great. Bye, Mary.
1: Bye-bye.